Welcome to this week's message at Corner Bible Church. We're so glad that you could join us. If you'd like more information on our church, you could check us out at our website, cornerbiblechurch.com, or you can like or follow us on Facebook. Now here's this week's message. Thank you for listening. Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing this morning? Tired. <laughs> All right. Welcome. I'd like to just uh, greet our visitors, um, greet everybody who's watching online. Um, this series that we've been doing in Luke has been absolutely amazing. Um, if you're visiting today, we've been going through a really deep dive into the book of Luke. Um, what's it been, like six, seven months, Davis? Since July. So it, it doesn't, you don't see that happen real often where you dig into one book of the Bible for that length of time. But it's been really good. It's been powerful. Um, the whole mosaic theme, I think, has been really good. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today. And then before we get into today's scripture, though, today is almost like part two of what Davis shared last week. And the, the way that my life is set up, and Davis knows this, I have to prep to teach like five or six weeks in advance just because of how busy my schedule is. So I had most of the teaching for today set up a couple weeks ago. And when Davis taught last week, I thought, boy, he's just setting the table right up for me. This is perfect. I really don't even have to do anything. It's like all I have to do is just continue on what he, uh, what he started out. So we're going to build on what Davis started last week when he talked about anxiety and being um, just really concerned about things going on in the world today and where our hope comes from and where we need to keep our eyes and our hearts focused on. So we're going to build on that a little bit today. So if you've got your Bible or your phone in front of you, um, we're going to look at Luke chapter 12, but we're going to jump down to verse 49. So just as far as way of introduction, my name is Dean DeHoog, and I'm part of the eldership team here at Corner Bible. And uh, every once in a while, I get tapped on the shoulder to share on uh, Sunday mornings and to teach up here. And it just uh, it's a great honor for me to, to do that. So um, before we dig into the scripture today, let's start out in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the beauty of it. We thank you for the opportunity to gather together as fellow believers and dig into your word and see what it is that your Holy Spirit shares with us today. Lord, may our hearts be opened, may our eyes be opened, may our ears be unstopped to hear and see and sense what it is that you have for us this morning. So Lord, lead us today in all that we do, all that we say, and all that we talk about. In your precious name, amen. So turn to Luke chapter 12. This particular section in Luke 12 is called, Not Peace, But Division. Starting with verse 49, Luke writes, I came to cast fire on the earth, and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it's accomplished. You think that I came to the earth to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on in one house there will be five divided. Three against two, two against three. And they, will be, and they will be divided, father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, 
and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Then Luke completely switches to a new topic. And this section is called Interpreting the Time. He also said to the crowds, When you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, A shower is coming. So it happens. When you see the south wind blowing, you say, There will be scorching heat. And it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? So like I said earlier, this study that we've been going through in Luke has been fascinating. It's been deep. It's been challenging. And uh, just to give a little bit of background in case you're visiting or in case you're watching online and you've not caught some of the other Luke teachings, we're just going to do a quick review. So a little bit, we'll have a few fun facts about Luke, and then we're going to talk a little bit about Luke's book um, and his writing style and what Luke is all about. So first of all, Luke was a convert to Judaism. He was not a traditional Jew, and he may be one of the few non-traditional Jew writers of any parts of the Bible. There's a, a couple of chapters in Daniel that we know were written by Nebuchadnezzar, but uh, J- Luke is probably the one few author in the Bible who is not a traditional Jew. Um, it's likely that um, he was a doctor. Most people think that he was a, a physician, a doctor by trade. You can kind of see it in his writing style. Luke is a deep book. It has a lot of volume. It's probably got more content to it than any of the other Gospels. His writing is detailed. It's very structured. It's almost surgical, like a, like a doctor, the way the doctor would think and the way a doctor would operate. Luke also writes his book of the Gospel of Luke as kind of two parts. Luke, the Gospel, is part one. The Acts of the Apostle is part two. And it's very likely that he wrote these two books while he was beside Paul while Paul was under Roman house arrest. There's some themes that recur often through Luke. We've kind of touched on these as we've gone through our series, but we're going to repeat some of them because, uh, like we said, you, you may not have caught all of the different Luke teachings that we've had. But the first kind of thread that runs through the Gospel of Luke is the thread of God's sovereignty. God's fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy coming through in the New Testament Gospels. Another theme that runs through Luke is the arrival of the kingdom of God. He repeats this often. And it's one of these already but not yet themes that we see in Luke. We're going to talk a little bit more about what it means to have a theme of already and not yet. Luke also points to the future indwelling of the Holy Spirit that's going to happen to believers. He really focuses on this theme in his gospel. Luke also brings the idea of paradox, the paradox of the kingdom of God, the paradox of what it means to be the first being last, the last being first, the paradox of the good news being brought to non-Jews, the lowly being exalted. We can see that in the story of of the, the lowly shepherds and how the shepherds were the very first ones to get the good news of the Christ child being born. Jesus had a love for the outcasts. 
All of this was totally backwards to the traditional Jewish teaching. So Luke had this theme of paradox, of a reversal of kingdoms. Luke also spends a lot of time warning against the allure of the present world. This is what Davis got at last week when he was sharing in the first part of Luke. Luke talks about the dangers of being attracted to the things of this world, to the riches of today rather than eternal riches. Luke talks about a choice that has to be made. Are we going to choose the things of today or are we going to choose the things of the eternal? Luke also contrasts stewardship with ownership as it regards our things. I want to go back to the already but not yet theme that runs through Luke. What does that mean? Probably the best way to describe it is the words of John the Baptist when he shares um, in front of the the crowds. And he, he talks about, he says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand or the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe. Those are John's words. This is in reference to the kingdom of God. So the Old Testament pointed to it. The New Testament, or John says, it's at hand or it's very close. Jesus says it's here now, but it's not completed. It's one of these already, but not yet. Because Christ is now seated on high, but not everything is completely subjected to him yet. It's that whole idea of already, but not yet. So now that we've done a little bit of review and we've looked at some of the themes that Luke has running through his book, let's look at today's text a little bit more closely. So first, the background for this text. Jesus is well into his ministry. He's got massive crowds following him to the point where, look at what it says in verse 1 of this chapter. It says, in the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered that they were trampling one another. Just picture that. Picture the crowds. It's almost like a sporting event. It's almost like a rock concert. It's, the crowds are so intense that people are trampling each other. Next, look at Jesus' teaching style in chapter 12 here of Luke. He's got these massive crowds. He's also got his disciples really close. He has this message for the masses, but he's also got these specific concepts that he wants to get across for his disciples. He's sharing milk to the masses, and he's teaching meat to the disciples. He's doing this flipping back and forth through this chapter. Verse 1 shows him teaching to the disciples. Verse 15 flips back to the crowds. Verse 22, he's teaching the disciples. Verse 32, he refers to his little flock or his disciples again. And then at this point, Peter is also getting a little confused and he says, Lord, you just taught this parable, but is this parable for us, the disciples, or was this parable for the crowds? So Jesus summarizes what he's been teaching. He says, you know what? We talked earlier in Luke 12, the part that David shared last week. We talked about anxiety. We talked about the cares of the world. But now it's time for a warning. 
Jesus is getting to the point where he's warning or prompting for readiness, for preparation for what's ahead. This is the climax of the message, the outcome. It's the point of the teaching where Jesus is drilling down and saying, this is so important that I need a specific response from you. More of the already, but not yet theme. Take a look at verse 49 a minute. I'm going to go back to verse 49 real quickly. 49 says, I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with. And how great is my distress until it's accomplished. You think that I've come to give peace on the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on, in one house, there will be five divided. Three against two, two against three. They will be divided, father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Jesus has this point in his teaching where he's saying, here's the warning. Here's what's going to happen. There's going to be this baptism of fire. He's not referring to final judgment in the end times, but he's talking about personal hardship. He's talking about persecution that we're going to experience. He's referring to a refining, a refining of our nature. A refining a lot like the person who has the crucible. The crucible is heated up to thousands of degrees. and The alloy is put into the crucible so that the impurities will rise to the top to be scooped off and discarded. Jesus points to himself, his life, as being in that crucible where he is showing that his allegiance, his following to his heavenly Father is the only thing that he's going to live his life by. He has complete denial of self. He's got full reliance for all of his animation from his heavenly Father for every one of his words, every one of his thoughts, and every one of his actions. There's another evidence of this fallout or this what's going to happen when we faithfully follow Christ, and that's division. So not only will there be this, this heating up or this baptism of fire, but he also talks about this division. And it's going to be a division among those closest to us. It's natural that the rejection of Christians by the world around us is going to happen. That's talked about a lot in the Word. But this is an interesting section because this talks about division among those closest to us. As we sell out completely and wholly and only to Jesus Christ, as we reject everything of the world around us, there's going to be this division. Family member against family member. Maybe even church member against church member. The culture in our world today calls this kind of selling out to Christ as extreme or close-minded or narrow. It's going to always push up against a worldview where Christ is dominant and Christ is controlling everything that we're doing. The culture of this world says that we need to be loving, accepting, and open-minded. What will happen? We have a choice. 
And that choice is allegiance to Christ or allegiance to the things of the world. So Luke says that families will turn on each other. Brothers and sisters will turn on each other. This is what the present evil age is going to do. It's going to cause us to make decisions for Christ or against Christ. But what will happen to the remnant? What will happen to the few that stay faithful? John in his gospel in chapter 14, verse 27, he describes that we'll have an inner peace. Something that happens inside of us that's permanent, that's eternal, that it comes from Christ, that does not come from the circumstances around us. This perfect inward peace is based on our true and complete identity with Christ. When we read the news, when we look at what's happening around us in the world today, what do we see? Davis referred to this a little bit last week. See the fallout from the world. We see what's happening in people's lives. That outworks in things like lots of news about depression in teenagers, about adults that are dealing with excessive drinking, or the massive amounts of prescription medications that are being taken to offset anxiety and depression. So, again, we go back to that true and interlasting peace can come only through our walk with Jesus Christ. Then all of a sudden there's a big change, there's a shift in, Jesus, in the teaching here that Jesus is doing in the way Luke describes it. After Jesus is done talking about persecution, hardship, he makes that switch again. Switches from his disciples, switches back to the large crowd and he says, Verse 54. Let's take a look at verse 54 a minute. It says to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once a shower is coming and it happens. When you see a south wind blowing, you say there will be scorching heat and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? Big shift from what he was just talking about. He's asking a rhetorical question to the crowd. He's got this huge crowd around him, and he says, Come on, people. I need you to pay attention. I've got a really important question I'm asking you. It's like he's grabbing them by the shoulders and shaking them. He's saying, This is super important. I need you to pay attention. He says, You guys are really good at seeing the signs around you in the natural, but you're not seeing what's happening in the supernatural. Or in the unseen realm. When my wife and I go on vacation, we often like to go to the UP. And we travel around, and I also do quite a bit of traveling for work. And one of the things that I like to do is I like to look and find humorous signs. Um, particularly the, the signs that I like are signs that people put up that have biblical reference, and they have no idea that they're biblical reference. Okay, um, so I've got a couple of funny ones that I'm going to share, and um, the first one, let's see if you're able to pull it up there. This is a sign that I found on a bulletin board in a senior uh, housing project, and I'm sure this lady was looking for work to fix people's clothing that maybe need to be fixed, 
But this is her sign. It says, seamstress available, I will sew your tears. Call extension 126. I can just picture this little old lady looking for work to fix people's clothing. But I have a feeling that she was very deep into her Bible because she's got the wrong sew and she's got the wrong tears. And I, I always wondered, okay, maybe she fixes the clothes and when your shirt comes back, it's got weed seeds in the pocket for you to spread around. But anyway, um, so that's the first one. I found that one kind of humorous. Okay, Michael, I got another. Okay, this is another one that is across the street from the condos where my parents live in Dutton. So he's got wood, hay, stubble, um, it's one of those signs that I, I really wish that I could go and stick a sign in front of it and say, well, what about the gold, silver, and precious stones? Because all this is going to burn. That would be another good sign to put out there. It's all going to burn. So anyway, I don't think he had any idea that he was referencing end times when he put up those signs. Um, and then I've got one more. This We see this sign all the time in Allegan County. Again, this is just how my brain works, but... This is the sign that's telling you that there's a sign coming. And I, I just find that that's kind of interesting. It's the pre-stop sign. So the reason I bring these signs up is because Jesus is saying there's all these signs. He was talking to the Jews about the signs of the hot weather or the storm cloud coming. But Jesus is saying, that's in the natural. And I want you to pay attention to what's going on in the supernatural. So... I think one of the reasons that that stop sign, the pre-stop, what I call the pre-stop sign, one of the reasons we have to have a pre-stop sign, maybe Dave, you can probably help me better on this than anybody else, but I think, I think most people when they're driving, they're on sign overload. We have so many signs around us that we just ignore them. We don't pay any attention to them. So that's why we need a pre-stop sign. And that's a little bit what Jesus is getting at. Is he's saying, people, I need you to pay attention to what's going on, but not in the physical, not in the natural, but in the supernatural. This is Jesus' warning. He's saying, why are you focused on the wrong thing here? You're focused on weather patterns. You're focused on the economy. You're focused on the physical. You're focused on your retirement. You're focused on your next vacation. You're focused on the home you want to buy. There's this preoccupation that we have that's natural for the here and now, for the seen, the touched, the concrete. Jesus says this to them, and they see all this, but they're clueless to the eternal truths that are happening. In Matthew 24, Jesus uses the analogy of childbirth. He says, there's going to be this sign but the sign is like a birth pang. It's not the hard labor. It's not the birth of the child yet, but it's early signs. It's false labor. But that's what's pointing to what's coming. It's pointing to the hard labor. It's pointing to the baby being born. So what are these signs that Jesus is preparing us for and Jesus is asking us to pay attention to? He wants us focused on the future. He wants us focused on the eternal. Jesus is preparing them, the crowds, and us to pay attention. 
Be mindful of the future, the end times, our eternity, and to not get preoccupied with the here and the now. Jesus is warning them that it's going to happen quickly. He's warning them that there's going to be signs that are going to show when the bride is going to be removed, when he's going to come again, when he's going to set up his eternal kingdom. He's warning them that there's going to be signs that you're going to see that are going to lay out end time events for you. What we're going to do next is I want to look at nine signs of the end times. Nine warning signs that are shown in the Bible that show this ramping up or this acceleration leading to Christ's return. One of the things that we struggle with, I think, in our world today is we are bombarded with news constantly. We look at the news and we think, oh yeah, I think that news, I think I can figure out what the Bible means by what's happening in the news. And we have it backwards. The Bible sets the tone and gives us clear direction on all of the end times and everything that's going to happen in eternity. In eternity, Often we take the news and we try to fit the Bible into what's happening in the news where we should be doing it the other way around. So we're going to look at these nine warning signs and I just have a warning before I get into the nine warning signs because one thing that's interesting um, when it comes to talking about end times is it can be a little bit controversial. There's a lot of different views there's a lot of different ideas. And I, I think of the old um, adage where um, you, you've heard the joke, when you've when you got a big, pe- big group of people around the table, there's two things that you don't talk about, religion and politics. Okay, those are to be avoided at all costs. Don't talk about that around the table. But what if you've got a group of Christians around the table? There's probably two things that you don't want to talk about, creation and end times, because you're going to have a battle on your hands. You're going to have wrestling going on underneath the table. Um, Davis and I were having a discussion this morning about end times and creation. So there's a lot of different views out there, but I just want to talk about some of the warning signs that we see in the Bible and how they fit with end times. We're going to go through these quickly. I've got some notes in the version notes, and there's also, I'll give the Bible references for each one. And if you have time, do some study. Do some study of the the references that I'm going to go through and um, just read it on your own at your leisure. Sign number one, World Wars I and II. Think about the uniqueness of those two world wars. They were on a world scale. They were not just country against country. Again, remember this is just one of the birth pangs. So this is one of the signs of the end times is when you look in the past at World War I and II. Sign number two, the reestablishment of the country of Israel. Back during that time, there were a lot of people that thought that this could never happen, that Israel would never be given a land where they could regather again. But it happened in 1948. Not only did they get a land to reestablish in, but they got their old former home area where they were established originally. It's described in Ezekiel 20 and Ezekiel 22. Sign number three, Jerusalem under Jewish control. For many years, the control of Jerusalem was split. 
There was the old city, there was the new city when it came to the parts of Jerusalem. But after the Six Days' War in 1967, Israel gained control of the old part of the city again. And they could prepare for what many people call the third temple period of traditional Jewish worship again. Scripture refers to this in Daniel 9, Matthew 29, or Matthew 24, and Revelation 11. Sign number four. Now before we get into sign number four, just back up a little bit. The first three signs happened in the past. The next six signs are going to happen in the future. Sign number four. Again, this was one that's referring to the future. A Russian invasion of Israel. Remember that the previous three signs happened in the past. So just think about the future. Think about Russia's role in the world today and what Russia's got going on on the national stage. Russia will lead a delegation of other nations into a full-scale invasion of Israel. And this invasion will lead to God's destruction of the invaders and the protection of Israel. This event's laid out in Ezekiel 38 and Ezekiel 39. Sign number five. One world government. Daniel 7 describes a Gentile empire that will devour the whole world. You see glimpses of this today in some of the words that come out from the United Nations and others that are pushing to a single world control under the guise of protecting limited resources and trying to bring about unity and world peace. Sign number six, the splitting up of the one world kingdom into ten kingdoms that are smaller. This is referenced in Daniel 7. See a lot of this in what the UN puts out as it regards to Agenda 2030. Again, splitting the world up into ten smaller parts. Sign number seven, the rise of the Antichrist. This is also described in Daniel 7, 2 Thessalonians 2. The Antichrist will have a high position of worldwide prominence and influence. And he'll broker a peace settlement with the nation of Israel. Sign number eight, a temporary period of peace and false security. This is laid out in 2 Thessalonians chapter 5. Sign number nine, there will be a seven-year covenant signed by the Antichrist and the nation of Israel. This isn't the seven years of the tribulation, but again, we're going back to it's the birth pangs. It's the, it's the pre-stop sign. It's the indication that there's something more to come. So why have we taken the time to review these end-time signs? Why do you think Jesus had the crowd so focused on what's happening in the supernatural? And what's happening as far as our walk with eternity. Jesus is warning us. He's grabbing us by the shoulders and shaking us. He's saying, pay attention. Wake up. Calling us to something. The warning sign is to do something, that there's something that we need to do. First of all, he's calling us as Christians to maturity. The writer of Hebrews describes this is a contrast between milk drinkers and meat eaters. The writer of Hebrews also warns that we're in the beginner's class. We're still taking the elementary principles and we should be actually the ones teaching the class. 
Maturity in this way pushes us to sharing the good news with those in the world around us. Not only is he calling us to grow and to mature and to share the Word of God, but he's warning us that this can only happen if our eyes are fixed upon him. Our hope and glory is only in Christ. It's the only way we can have a secure eternity. Jesus knows that our natural tendency is to focus on the things around us that we can touch. He knows that the allure of the world is going to try to pull us off of our square. He wants us to remember that what we see here and now is temporary. We're strangers. We're aliens. We are in this world, but we are not of the world. We need to open our eyes and keep them fixed on the things above. And lastly, Jesus has this warning as an encouragement. He wants us to remember that this is only going to be grasped by a very small group of people, or what Jesus often refers to as a remnant. In fact, there's a comment about end times that says that when Christ comes, it asks the question, will there even be any faith on the earth? Jesus reminds us that even though we feel like we're a remnant, even though we feel like we're the only ones left, this world's gone crazy, that he has us in his, he's got us wrapped in his arms, that his Holy Spirit resides in us, and that he's preparing us for what's going to happen. He doesn't want us to be surprised. He doesn't want us to be shocked. He doesn't want us to be unprepared. So this is why he gives us the warning. Notice the question that Jesus leaves at the very end of this scripture. He says, Why do you not know how to interpret the present time? What's Jesus referring to here? Our present time is dominated by this present evil age that we live in. We battle daily against a world that's deteriorating right around us while we watch. Jesus wants us to ask for understanding. He wants us to ask for answers. He wants us to ask for direction by the power of the Holy Spirit. Christ's signs for today will give us the direction that we need on how to live. He warns us against the dangers ahead. and He provides us the clarity that we need as we follow him in these times that we're in. We need to watch for the signs. Let's pray. Thank you for joining us for this week's message here at Corner Bible Church. If you would like more audio resources, please follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. Or you can go online and visit us on our webpage at cornerbiblechurch.com.